on. Hello. Hello. Let's start with the serenity prayer, please. Oh, it's on. I can't do much else about it. It's on. It's on. It's on. I'm sorry. That's it's on. I don't know what else to do. Um, let's start with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Hello. My name's Judy. I am a compulsive overeater. Hi, Judy. Hey. Is it on? It is. It says on. Uh, where's my audio guy? We don't have one. Okay, they're going to get it. Um, I'd like to ask someone to come up and read from four today, October 31st. No, we, she, we got her. I didn't, I didn't know which someone. I'd like to ask Nancy to come up and read. Hi, my name is Nancy. I'm a compulsive overeater. For today, October 31st, nothing contributes so much to tranquilize the mind as a steady purpose. Mary Wollstonecraft. I came to OA because I wanted to get well more than I wanted to eat. That is the steady purpose that directs my life today. I place freedom from compulsive overeating before everything else because I do not want to return to the life I had without it. Before OA, the only tranquility I knew was to anesthetize myself with food, an indulgence for which I paid dearly the rest of the time. Nothing could save me from the mental and emotional anguish and confusion of being fat, feeling guilty, and hating myself for lack of control. Today, I am not confused about who I am and what I am doing. I am a compulsive overeater, relieved by the grace of God from the obsession and recovering in this place I call home. For today, staying aware of my purpose in living by the OA program is my true source of peace of mind. Therefore, it is my number one priority and nothing, no food, no circumstance, no person, can tempt me to give it up. Hi, everybody. I'm another Judy, and I'm a compulsive overeater. (laughs) Well, I'm starting with the food announcement. On everybody's name tag in fine print, it tells you the ingredients of the salad dressings. They are sugar-free, but they do have equal. And we know some people prefer not to have that. All you have to do is ask your waiter, and they will bring you the the, um, olive oil and vinegar. So you can have a very simple dressing if you'd like to go simple. Of course, if you've liked all the fabulous things you've heard today, you can purchase them. Go to All Star Media. They have been great the whole weekend. Now, the 50-50 amount. How much? Uh, Oh! We have the drum roll, please. $1,038. Keep buying tickets. 
is there anybody here still selling tickets? You see this fine lady because you might just get that whew, half the pot. The silent auction closes promptly at 10 p.m. And do not knock me over getting there, okay? Now, they'll make, you know, they'll decide who the winner is, who's hovering the longest, just soon after. Don't forget to get, get your wonderful prizes at the Lucky Strike silent auction in the Chardonnay room. You'll be able to pay with credit card tonight. And any way you're going to pay, we really... It does help our committee if you do pay tonight, check, cash, credit card. Tomorrow, it will be open to also claim, and at that time, just check or cash. Now, the Gold Nugget Boutique. Across in the Zinfandel room is going to have a going-out-of-business sale. <laughs> All right. They have started a buck a bag, as much as you can stuff in there, and that will last till 10 o'clock. Now, some of you are thinking, but I want to go over there. About 9 o'clock, there's going to be a brief break while our live band sets up. Just a brief break, but you know, it's a time to shop whatever you would like. Are we all good? Enjoy your dinner and your companionship. The speaker will be after dinner. Bye. Hello. Are you having a wonderful dinner? All right. Woo, thank you so much. It's great. Before we introduce our speaker, we would like to remind you that all speakers share their own experience, strength, and hope. They do not speak for the convention, our Region 2, or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Now, please help me in welcoming our speaker for this evening, who is Amy F. from Palo Alto. Oh, I will. I'm going. This girl's going. Okay. Hi, I'm Amy F. I never say F, but I'm Amy from Palo Alto. And guess what? I am a compulsive overeater. And I get to talk to you while there is still food on your plates and fruit compote. Lucky me. Okay. Let me get this going right. So, um... I am very honored that I was asked to speak here in Sacramento. Um, I think it's, um, I, I mean, I'm kind of laughing. It's like I'm very garden variety, so um, why do I get the honor of speaking while you're still eating? I hear the little ching-ching of silverware on plates. Um, and um, and I'll, I'll answer that um, by saying... Um, I guess I have been at this a few 24 hours, one day at a time, and, um, and uh, I am gratefully uh, have been abstinent um, for over 26 years, and, um, and, and 
it, it, it really has been a day at a time for me. It's not like, wow, 26 years. It's more like, wow, 24 hours. When do I go to sleep tonight to make sure I get this 24 hours and can count it? So um, I will tell you a little bit about my story, about how it was, what happened, and what it's like today. Um, and keeping in mind that, um, that my recovery is more precious than gold, and, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. And I have some people, some one person planted in the audience to help uh, keep me on. I have a, a wonderful timekeeper, but somebody to make sure I don't spend too much time in the past because I think there's a lot of lessons I can share, um, even just in the last six weeks that are uh, revelations to me. Oh, my God, I have been asked to speak louder. Never in my life have I been asked to speak louder. Usually my last job, they pushed me on one side of the office as far away from the engineers as possible because I spoke too loud. And they put up signs, and they were for me to stay away because I spoke too loud. Okay, here I go. So um, uh, I'll give you a little bit of a background about my story. And I just want to check right now, can people hear me? Is this okay? Oh, and they're going to turn it up so I don't have to lose my voice either. Okay, so um, I was raised in the East Coast, if you can't tell already, and, um, and um, I was uh, a compulsive overeater from as early as I can remember. So, um, uh, and my memories really are, like, I guess, you know, five years old, six years old. I can tell you for a fact, I put myself on my first diet when I was seven years old. Um, and I did, uh, I had this huge poster board, and I had all my pretty markers and lots of different colors, and I wrote, these are the items I can eat for breakfast, and I listed the things, and then I wrote, here are the items I can have for lunch, and I listed those, and here are the items I can have for dinner, and um, I will tell you that my food plan and how I write it out today is frighteningly <laughs> similar. <laughs> Almost exactly the same. So uh, I have an 11-and-a-half-year-old son and an almost 9-year-old son, and I can tell you that when they were 7 years old and earlier when they were 6 years old, I thought to myself, wow, at that point I already thought I was fat, not enough, had to lose weight, and um, was and I was a second child and organized enough, even as a second child... If, I'll explain second children if you don't understand second children, um, to have put this together. And when I see my kids today, I'm like, I can't believe that I was in a misery and a depression then. And, um, and my son, actually, who when he was um, 10 and a half, uh, grappled a little bit with depression, and I had the opportunity to share my story with him um, and really shared my story with him about depression. And um, uh, it was just, uh, and when people were shocked, other people were shocked to hear my son could be depressed, I said, what are you talking about? I mean, as a, a compulsive reader, I was depressed. I was younger than seven years old. So um, uh, what happened for me, as we know, this is a progressive disease. And over time, and I don't want to forget the people over here to look at you guys, too. Um, over time, um, the way the disease progressed in me is, um, you know, I put myself on diets, and um, they started out by working, and then they stopped working. I grew up in New Jersey, and we had a Lean Line, which is a defunct uh, organization, which became sort of like a, it's like a Weight Watchers thing. Um, I went to, like, a hypnotist. Um, I heard somebody 
share uh, during a session today about, like, you know, you, they were eating food and they, they had everyone open their mouths and look in a mirror and that was supposed to disgust them so much they wouldn't eat anymore. Well, that is, that was like the same, like, you know, envisioning this lion, I don't know, was somehow supposed to stop me from eating compulsively. And um, I made, like, a lot of, I made a lot of promises to myself that I couldn't keep, which is I won't eat this thing, I won't do it this time, and this all happened uh, before I was 19 years old. And um, um, I judged myself. My self-esteem was completely based on, um, um, uh, well, did I have a self-esteem? It was a negative self-esteem. Um, but um, well, I assessed myself academically. And um, the only way I felt I was actually a worthy person was if I not just got the A, but I got the A+. Plus, and anything under that um, turned into um, a failure. And when I got into recovery, um, and I was in college when I got into recovery, um, the mantra I would say is the only A that counts is the A in abstinence, and the only B that was, was a, a failure for me was the B in binge. And, um, and that was really important to me because I'm a perfectionist and, um, and school was really important to me. So um, what happened, um, you know, just time going by, diet stopped working. I was somebody who um, lost weight for a little bit, was there for about 30 seconds and quickly went up. Um, you know, the closet, multiple sizes, here are the smallest. My smallest size I think I ever was, by the way, is an 8, and I had a, up to a 16. Um, and so those clothes had to rotate. Um, one of the horrors for me is change of seasons. So frightening because I'm like, okay, I wore this last year at this time. Is it going to button? Is it going to zip? Um, and frequently it did not. And it was painful. It was mortifying. And um, it was mortifying to be somebody who excelled, who had a family from the outside that looked so great, and then to be internal, my internal life was one of suffering and depression. Um, and, um, and, and it really was a disease of more. It was, it was never enough. And I also heard today that, you know, we re read that it just, you know, at, at a certain point we came, that we came with food, it just stopped working, like it anesthetized us for a while. And I will tell you, it stopped working for me at a very early age. Food, I was never happy around food. I... Every bite was a painful bite. Any extra bite I took was a punishment. It was, it, it hurt. It hurt, every single one. And my younger years, I feel like I just lived in this world that was just in my head. And, um, and, and I wasn't a little kid. I was never a little kid. I always had to take care of things. So um, what happened for me was... Um, uh, for me, actually, the unthinkable happened, had to do with colleges, and I was like, you know, in, like in the top seven in my school in New Jersey, and I applied to all, you know, these schools, and I didn't get into any of the main schools that I had applied to. I got waitlisted at a few and um, rejected from a few more, and I got accepted to one. And, um, and in the end, I, w I went to that school for a year. And, um, and it's a fabulous school, but that's just not how I was like, nope, I'm not, I, I'm not supposed to be at this school. And, um, and when I was there and I saw all these other kids, actually some kids from my school who were there who were never in my classes, who were not as motivated as I was, it was like 
you know, really was the perfect storm. You know, it was, if, if binging was a problem before, it was, you know, people talk about um, the binging, the stealing of the food from, you know, the, the, the roommate, and you pretended that they, you didn't steal it. They knew you stole it. You knew you stole it. No one said anything about it. And that's, that's how it was for me. And, um, and I transferred. I actually uh, did a transfer of schools and ended up in New York City. And it was in uh, New York City that, um, uh, that my recovery was launched. Now, I had been introduced to Overeaters Anonymous when I was 17 years old by a family friend. I must have gotten a pamphlet. I don't know which one it was. And I read it, or maybe it had the steps. And I did not get, so I read step one, and I was like, okay. And then, you know, step two, right away, God, you know, power greater than yourself, God sort of comes in the picture. And that was like, eh, not doing this is not for me, and I put it away. Um, and then um, um, I have an aunt who also was in program, so, like, I knew it existed. But, you know, I was a teenager, and that didn't exist for me. Uh, what finally happened for me is I was working, um, I was in a th uh, therapy when I had gone to this therapist. I had gone to her, and I'm going to do this because this is going to be a very vulnerable thing for me to do, so I'm going to make myself do it. Okay, so I'll stand over here. I went to her, and I said, I was sitting down, and I said, there's no problems. I have no problems whatsoever. I just don't like this part of my body. And she said, I want you to stand up and show what part of your body you don't like. And I was like here, and this whole, like my tire that's here. And, she, and I was like, there's no problems in my life, but I would like this part surgically removed if we could do that. <laughs> so um, being somebody who was very skilled in 30 seconds knew exactly who I was. Um, and it took me, and I knew who I was, but it took me about six more months to admit that to myself. She's suggested I might want to try uh, a meeting. And, um, and then in February of, so actually it was November of 1985, I went to my first OA meeting in New York City at York 11. And um, there was about 150 people there, crowded, standing room only. And I was there for 15 minutes and said, these people are crazy. I am getting out of here. So I did. And then I crawled back. Uh, about three, four months later, I crawled back, and, and I crawled back into a room on, um, on 96th Street and uh, between um, uh, Broadway and Amsterdam, a church there, and uh, it was a room that was used for 12-step uh, meetings, and it smelled like smoke. It had slogans, floor to ceiling. Um, it was used for a lot of programs, and there were maybe 10 or 11 people in that room, and, um, and I was home. And I was home. And um, they said, anyone need a sponsor? And I, I raised my hand. And, um, and I got this sponsor. Um, bless his heart. Thank you, Sarah. Bless his heart. Um, and, <laughs> and he would say, you know, I'd call him up. And he'd say, Amy, remember, I love you. God loves you. Love yourself. And that was like his mantra. And anybody who was in New York during that time has to know who I'm talking about. Um, and, um, and I didn't know what the heck he was talking about. I didn't care because it was the first time I was telling somebody else what I ate because it was a big secret. 
I was not, I did not have binge buddies. I had diet buddies. We were always on a diet together, but when it came to binge, I did the binging al alone. I didn't want anyone to know about my binging. So um, what happened on, um, since I'm telling my full story here, February 14th, um, 1986. Yes, that is Valentine's Day. And, um, and it b basically, um, uh, you know, he said, I love you, God loves you, love yourself. I'm not kidding, I'm not kidding. He said that all the time. And he said, okay, give yourself a gift today that you don't give yourself, give yourself a gift of love. So I binged for the rest of the day because that was so painful. And I woke up the next morning when I called him, I said, F you, how could you tell me to love myself when I hate myself so much? And I don't know why, and it's a mixture of grace and I don't know what, readiness, willingness, I don't know. But after that, I didn't need to binge again. And I'm not saying that it wasn't, um, that it was easy, because I didn't come in on a pink cloud. <laughs> I was not a pink cloud person um, at all. I was put the food down and go crazy person. And um, there was no cell phones at the time, and I had just quarters in my pocket, and I'm in New York City, and I'm just like pay phones. I'm just calling my sponsor like, oh, I can't, oh my God. She's like, Amy, is that you? <laughs> and I would just do that. And she was just like, you're in a great place. Because by then, I got a, I got a new sponsor. And, um, and then my, just my story evolved. So I can tell you that I do have a life beyond my wildest dreams today. Um, one reason is because I'm alive. Um, I pretty much had reached this place where... I just had complete disregard for my surroundings, and I was um, going to school on the way Upper West Side, and um, it was close to Harlem, and these, like, these, just these crazy gypsy cabs would fly over the top of this street, and I just didn't pay attention to the lights anymore. Um, I was inside. I would dress myself up on the inside and uh, on the outside. On the inside, it was I was just dead. I felt just dead. I hated myself completely, and I really wondered why God had put me here, because I didn't understand um, how why I was put here if I was going to be so miserable. And um, I was a really uh, I was really alone. I was very isolated, and um, and I. Couldn't, felt like I couldn't tell anybody what was going on, and I was um, afraid people would think I was really crazy and um, send me to Bellevue Psychiatric, um, and I, I was really scared about that. And then, you know, I came into this program, and everything I heard I identified with, and um, I left these books up in my room, but um, I have the AA 12 and 12, and it's the original one that I got. And I see that um, when I was looking at it today, in the front of the book, so it's blue. It's just blue and like this big, and it's a nondescript cover, and it's tiny. And, it, um, and I just wrote, like, my notes. I was, must have been in a step study meeting, and I wrote, like, step one, and then I wrote who, was, who the speaker was, and then I wrote notes. And, and what's amazing to me is what was true then is true now. Um, and... When I feel lost, um, because I still feel lost in my life sometimes, um, and I, I mean, in my life sometimes, what a joke. Every day I feel a little lost, right? And it, and it has, it, it is not to do with the fact that I'm truly lost. It has to do with the fact that I've stepped away somehow from my higher power and connecting. And now I know to ask myself the, the question, 
What do I need to do to walk toward my higher power today? What will make that difference? Because I do not like feeling lost. I ate over feeling lost. I always felt lost and alone and untethered in this world. Um, and I came into Overeaters Anonymous, and I got a plan for living. I mean, we got, we are so lucky. We have the blueprint for success in life. You know, say, how do you hit the home run? It's called the OA, I, well, to me, it's the OA 12 and 12. It is the AA 12 and 12, and it's the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. The other things support that for me, but these things tell me how I need to leave, live, live my life. And I can close my eyes and I do this and flip through a page and open it, and whatever is there is exactly what I need to hear today, without a doubt, without exception. So in my life, um, I had a lot of relationship issues. I had a lot to do with um, the household I grew up in, and um, I did not expect to have a life where I would have been married. Um, and I wasn't being hard on myself. I mean, I was like, I just feel like I'm a case. I got a lot of stuff. Um, and um, I didn't expect to have children. And, um, uh, you know, that's past just like, yeah, I made it. I'm alive, right? I'm not trying to kill myself anymore. Um, and um, what I have found is um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm married. Um, I have two amazing children. Um, and those things are not like, I don't say it like uh, the Brady Bunch version or like how I grew up, which was, oh, you, you get thin, because this was my version, you get thin, and once you get thin, then you have the boyfriend, and then when you have the boyfriend, you know, that's the game end plan, you want that, that's your goal, and then you get married, and it's all perfect. So um, basically, it's, um, nothing is perfect about that. I, I mean, people share this a lot, that, but being in those kind of relationships really is about putting miracle grow on all my character defects and, and did not, there was no princess in a castle and happily ever after. Um, what it meant was, and somebody shared this, somebody else shared this to me today, they were talking about the sessions they had been to earlier and they said, I picked all the wrong sessions this morning. I said, what? Yeah, I found out how much work I have to do. And, and that's what it is to be in relationship and uh, be a parent. Um, like, wow, they're, look, they're so cute, they're babies. Oh, my God, look how much work I have to do. So, um, so what happened for me was um, um, I, I, just, I stuck in this program a day at a time. Um, I had a lot of bumps. I needed to go to a treatment center. Um, that's just my story. Um, uh, I moved out to California. Uh, had to start uh, a life for myself here and a program for myself here. Um, I moved to the East Bay and got involved with such a wonderful fellowship and, and really integrated into the, the program. It was, it was wonderful. And I'll put a pitch in for service because it was eventually service for me um, in um, uh, working on intergroup that made the difference between me feeling a part of and me feeling separate from. And, um, and then I moved again to, uh, to Palo Alto where I had, um, I had met my husband, moved down to Palo Alto. So, um, so I've, uh, I've said so much and I haven't said anything at all. Um, and I just got my 10 minute warning here. So I, now I'm just, I'm gonna go into, um, I'll go into the last six weeks. So we'll just fast forward. Just, you know, life's trials and tribulations, stuff happens. And six weeks ago, I was laid off from my job. So I was at a startup company, and, uh, 
and I'd only been there for five months, and I got laid off. And, uh, and so it hit everything, right? It just, like, right away, it's all about, you know, there's ego, and it's hurt, and, and, and then, you know, the thing in my mind, which is, like, what did I do wrong? Like, d did I, you know, was I fooling myself about my contributions? And, um, and that was, I allowed myself a little bit of a pity party just for a couple of days, but I, I can't really afford pity parties. Um, and so then what it became was, wow, I'm not working. My kids are going to sleepaway camp for two weeks. What am I going to do to have some fun around here? And uh, fun for me is not wild partying or scuba diving or people talked about these deliberate, like these, these, uh, these really fun things we think we're going to do or like when we're thin enough, we'll be able to do them and then we really don't do them because the important thing is the relationships. And so, you know, what I did is um, I went to meetings. I was like sharing at every meeting like, it's a noon meeting, and the good news is I'm at a noon meeting. The bad news is I was laid off my job, but look, look at me. I have a place to go. Um, the other thing I did, I had fractured my arm in February, and I wasn't able to do much physical activity. I was able to start working out again. I do working out because it's good for my head. Um, it takes out some of that um, negative energy, and, uh, and I got to do that. And then I hadn't played flute from when I was like, 12, and um, a decade ago, a store was going out of business, and I bought a flute that I'd never touched, and I started taking flute lessons in the last few weeks. And, um, and I can tell you, and, and I am the main breadwinner in my family, and I can tell you, by, I have, this is like when I say I have no idea, but that's when, anytime I say that, that is AKA higher power, restoring me to sanity, doing for me what I cannot possibly do for myself. Um, I have not had any fear about the job or the work situation. It is grace to be in this world and to have this freedom to be a human being in the fullest sense, to be able to make the time and the priority to meditate on a daily basis, to go to meetings, to sponsor. And I had more time with my, spon my sponsors and, um, and the people who I sponsor. Um, to be in my body, and that's what the you know, the working out for me is to be in my body, um, to p pick up something for me that is so creative and I haven't let myself do that because of time. And the thing I'm most concerned about is that I'll go back into my fear place and say, I have to take that job, that stressful, high power, blah, blah, blah job that pays blah, 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 because I'm afraid that if I don't take it, where will we be as a family? Even though I know if I take it, I am going to instantaneously lose all the wonderful balance that I have been enjoying. And I haven't felt so fully in my recovery and in myself and in the joy, the immense joy of recovery, as I have in these last six weeks. And it is such a miracle to me to have had that time. I also spent two weeks of this time I was on the East Coast, um, I was uh, staying in my father's house, which is always, wow, it's just, an, it is an experiment in, um, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a test, it's like a, a, an exam on how well I have been working my program up until that point. <laughs> and so I went to a couple of meetings, which was fantastic, and OA is alive and well in the New Hope, Pennsylvania area, in case you're going, there's some, a really good meeting there. 
And, um, and what I discovered in being there also, my father is a compulsive overeater. Um, he is overweight. Um, the way he binges or eats, well, he doesn't actually binge, excuse me, not because I didn't do this either. We were, gra- we were grazers, and um, it was exactly the way I did. And, um, and I had a chance to be there and reaffirm on a daily basis that my number one priority was uh, my recovery and, t- and self-care which I sort of equate in all those things. Um, and, um, and in doing that, what happened was I, I did I didn't have a little f- too many activities for us because I was like, you know, it was getting a little over, overactive. But um, the fact that I was able to meditate on a daily basis, this is really the first time in, in all these years that I have been able to do that and be mindful enough to give myself that gift, because usually I go into survival mode. And I realized he's really not a direct threat to me. The threat was in my head, and I, and I had a program of recovery to work around it. Um, the other, um, what I want to talk about, I guess specifically around the topic, um, is how my recovery, like to compare recovery to gold is, um, is n- not even, en- it's not even enough, right? It's priceless. Um, I have heard it said that um, whatever I put ahead of my recovery is uh, what I should be prepared to lose. And, um, and having this free time, this uh, six weeks, has shown to me that uh, I had gotten, I don't, I, I, would, I don't call it complacency. I call it um, my brain, I don't know what happened, just thought it was okay that the job, the kids, the stuff that had to be done and checked off the list became more important than making sure I got to uh, X number of meetings a week, which I need for my sanity. Um, and getting those meetings back, it was like I felt like I was a different person. And I, when I think about what if I took that first compulsive bite again, or what would it look like, or prepare for the binge, or whatever it is, I know that it wouldn't be like I would sit down and have a thousand things. It's the first little thing. It's the, it's the thing that I think is innocent and that will not impact my recovery, which is the thing that snowballs and has the greatest impact on my well-being. And I realize that by not going to the meeting requirement that I really have for myself, that that was that was like that was starting to roll a snowball down. Amazingly, my food, gratefully by the grace of God, that hadn't been impacted yet. But my mental well-being, and if you had seen me, you'd be like, a, you know, she could be like a dry drunk. Yeah, I may not be eating compulsively, but I'm acting like a crazy person. I don't, I don't really want to be that person. I, I don't know how to not have the job and the this and that and make it all work. That's what I'm putting out to my higher power right now. I don't, I don't know what that next version of me is going to look like. But I know that what I've been experiencing for the last few weeks really works well for me. Um, when we talk about recovery more precious than gold, the other thing I was thinking about was, what would I? what is my gold? What is gold to me? So um, sometimes gold, and am I allowed to say food? Okay. So sometimes gold is a piece of bacon. And I have to ask myself, well, am I willing to trade it in for a piece of bacon? And sometimes it can look like a chip, and sometimes it can look like an extra bite. 
And sometimes it's more subtle because, like, I'm, I'm cautious around those things. But what if it's the job or a schedule or my responsibilities? Um, what about my children? Is my recovery more precious than my children? Well, my love for myself is greater than my love for my children. But they're really right there. They're really, they're really right there. But what I've had to decide, what I've had to choose, is say, I, I don't want to give it all up for them. How would I feel if I gave it all up to do something for them? And then where would I be? What would I lose then? Um, sometimes my goal, and this is, this is the other subtle stuff, is, has to do with outcomes, has to do with my shortcomings, my need to be right. I'm ridiculously controlling ridiculously controlling, and, um, and I need to ask myself, it's a great question, is my recovery more precious than being right? And, um, and it is. And um, I feel, um, and I, I'll say this again, really honored to be part of this fellowship. I get to be in this world. Um, they say it takes a village. It takes a village to raise me. Um, <laughs> I, um, my kids don't realize that I'm actually the same age as they are internally, and I always have to, <laughs> I have to act like the adult. What this program has given me, because I need to wrap this up, is um, it has given me freedom to be myself, to know that in my um, worst state, when I think I have done the most harmful things to other people, when I am my most imperfect, that is when you seem to love me the best. I'm always loved for that. I am completely and fully loved by this fellowship. Um, I have a higher power that never leaves me. It is I who step away, so I know what direction my feet need to go into. Um, I get a, a, a program for um, eating for life, and, um, and the capacity for love, because now I can love myself, my capacity for loving others is just... Um, it just feels boundless and, and rich. And, um, you know, I stand here and I feel, you know, I feel bad for everybody else who, ha who has to do it alone. Like, I don't, I don't have to do it alone anymore. And I'm extremely grateful. Um, thank you for not, wow, either dinner's, dinner's over, the clinking stopped. Um, I am going to say how grateful I am to be abstinent today, one day at a time. And thank you so much. Phenomenal. Yes. Did you identify with her? Did she give you hope? All right. That's what we want. That's what we want. Um, okay. Don't forget. It's more announcements thing. You can have all the recovery you've heard today anytime you want by purchasing the CDs or MP3 downloads. And if you would like to purchase 50-50 tickets, now you saw the thing, the the temperature thing. We're over $1,000. I think it's even gone up since then. If, uh, please raise your hand. The volunteers are in the back ready to take your, uh, take your money. <laughs> okay, so don't forget to go by the Chardonnay room to pay for uh, or to claim your uh, silent auction winnings at 10. I don't know what time it is now, but 
Um, they will be open until 10, and then they'll be open again. You have to pay tonight if you want to pay by credit cards for what you win. And then the going out of business sale is happening in the boutique right now, and it'll be going on until 10 o'clock. Also, we have the dance starting at 9. Um, I would suggest that you take your little meal tickets with you because that gets you into the um, dance. So then you can come and boogie. We've got a great live band. So you have a little bit of a break. Go buy stuff, spend some money, and come back and party. Thank you. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Serenity prayer. Let's start. Let's stop with the serenity prayer. I'm sorry, what? Oh, great. Um, well, as you go out, uh, security, what would you like to do? Some of the people lost their tickets. Some of the tickets got taken with their plates. Okay. Okay. So come on back for, and we'll boogie. Okay, serenity prayer. Do you want to stand up for that? Just do it within the tables, whatever works. Let's just do it. We're adopting the table. Okay. Are we ready? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Please come back.